Good morning. Um, a couple things before I get started. Miles already said, you know, a little note from Gary. I got a text from him this morning and wanted to make sure that we remember him. Um, I just kind of feel the need to, like, put this out there that if you think any of us that fill the pulpit through the summer, if you think that we do this because we've achieved some level of I don't know what or we're, think we're worthy of this, we're not. We're, we're just here to serve. Um, anything I say, if you think I'm applying it to you, I'm applying it to me triply. If you, if you know Scripture well, you know that the one thing it says about people that are trustees or deacons or lead in the church is that we will be judged much more stricter and much more harsh than anybody else. So if I say anything that sounds like it's, I'm pointing at anybody, um, I'm really pointing it at myself. The other thing is I learned in March when I was up here, I learned that if I wear my bifocals, I don't see like the top third of the page that I'm looking at. So if you think I'm looking at you today, yeah, these are my Walmart special three for 750 reading glasses. So I can see the top of the page, which means you have to listen to more stuff because I'm actually going to say those things. <laughs> and second, beyond like the Wickstroms and Mike, all of you are a blur. <laughs> so these are, these are just my reading glasses, but uh, it'll work. Um, what do I mean by culture shock? You saw the title. You have to have a title, right? So what do you mean by culture shock? Um, Josh and Brooke are going to find out what culture shock looks like at some point. <laughs> Marriage is culture shock. You know, it is. It's your whole world changes. And it's one of those culture shock things that changes in a moment. Um, many of us are, are we're creatures of habit. Um, some people, there are people that just love change. They crave change. But a lot of us just, we like comfort. We like know what, knowing what's going on. Um, things are in a certain way. If you ever watch people like week to week in church, you would swear there's assigned seating. Right? Yeah, y'all are laughing because you know it's true. Everybody sits in the same places. It's like shortly after we got here, it's like I, I knew I had an assigned space because Carol took that chair away over there, and that's like David sits there. You know? Um, culture shock is when the status quo gets challenged or when things change from what's predictable and what we're used to. That's what I mean by culture shock. Um, in, in 2010, we were still living out in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, there was a, an attorney in Leanne's office that um, his son was a, a senior in high school and he was looking at schools and he was interested in aviation. So you can guess he wanted to look at UND, right? So they're in February. This is a kid from a southern state. Great time to bring him to Grand Forks, right? They come up to Grand Forks and they look at it. And when they got back from this trip, Rich says to Leanne, like, well, I know you're, I know you're looking at moving up that direction. I'm, I'm sure it's someplace much more like, you know, much bigger than like Grand Forks. And we just kind of laughed at him like, uh, no, go the other way. <laughs> My, one of my favorite things to say is that we went from living three miles outside of Washington, D.C. to three miles out, outside of a town of 300. Um, 
if you can probably guess, like he didn't choose it, right? Yeah, he chose to go to school in Fort Lauderdale, and we kind of we kind of joked with him because I don't know if you realize, but between Fort Lauderdale and Miami is deemed to be just about the busiest airspace in the entire country. And this is where he's going to learn to fly. You know, and it's like, we just, we used to say to Rich, like, do you understand, like, if he learns to fly up here, there are no other planes, and he can't hit a mountain. It's flat. It's, it's like the safest place ever. But anyway, he chose, um, he chose to go to Fort Lauderdale. Um, when we decided to move up here, I don't, I don't know if more folks from up here or more folks from Virginia hit us with like, boy, that's going to be a shock, you know. Um, <laughs> you can imagine temperature being one of those things, right? The, the, I don't know if I can get this right. The lowest high temperature in January, the average high temperature is 45, above zero. Okay, <laughs> not below. It's, it's a lot different. Um, we used to live in a condo. I think I have this up here. That's what we used to live in. My, my dad used to jokingly call us cliff dwellers. If you've ever been to like Tahoe and, and places like in New Mexico where you see the cliff dwellers, you can understand what he's saying. See if I can see how good my aim is. Ooh, we lived right there. We lived on the 16th floor. That's, there's 16 units per floor and it's 27 floors. Um, I did the math. We now live a third of a mile from the tar road. So within a quarter mile of us, there's nobody. Within a quarter mile of that apartment, there were probably over 2,000 people. If you, just because of the way that we're situated where we are here, there's a whole bunch of sections of state land north of us. So if you go north of our house, you have, there's some hunting cabins, but you have to go five miles before you get the next residence going north of us. If you go five miles out from where we used to live, that would encompass both the White House and the Capitol, a huge section of Northern Virginia, and about between three and four million people. It's a little bit different up here. If you've ever gone over to the interstate, like go over to Oslo, and you turn south going to Grand Forks, you know there's that one billboard that it shows like I-29 empty? And it's like rush hour in North Dakota, right? You think I miss rush hour in D.C.? This is the Capitol Beltway, which is not too far from us, where we used to live. You don't miss that. And by the way, this is on a good day. You notice there's no rain and there's no snow. This is just normal traffic. If it rains or it snows, it's ten times worse. I used to live um, three miles away, or my office was three miles away from where we lived, and... I don't know if you remember the snowstorm that there was a snowstorm that took down an Air Florida plane and that snowstorm came in so strong it was three miles and it took me four hours to get home. Um, It's a, you know, it's a big shock. For me, one of the biggest shocks actually came when we first got up here. Um, I went to Hugo's and the D.C. area is not as bad as like, say like New York or L.A., where it's very impersonal. But if you're going down the sidewalk in, in you know, downtown, 
There's a couple hundred people going this way, a couple hundred people going this way. You get this thing where you kind of just look past people. You don't make contact with people. And I can remember the first time I went to Hugo's up here, I was going down the aisle, and this lady greets me. And I'm like, she's talking to me. Why? You know? And all she said was, hi. You know, like, wow, people don't do that, you know? I had to learn to adjust. That was a big difference. Many of us that have a biblical worldview, we kind of feel a shock when we look at what's going on around us in culture. There's a lot going on. Um, Frequently up here, we get kind of insulated a little bit from what happens either on the coast or in some of the big cities. We don't get, always get hit with the big changes as quickly as they do. Um, probably not so much here, but all over the country, you can't even say the name of Jesus or sing a Christmas song in schools. Um, students are not allowed to bring their Bible to school, even for personal reading. You know, if you have like a, an open period where you're allowed to do personal reading, kids have been sent home for, for bringing their Bible to sit there and just read to themselves. At the same time, there are schools all over the country that are teaching the five pillars of Islam. Students are having to learn and write, and I hope I get the pronunciation right, but it's called the Shahada, which is the, um, the Islamic Declaration of Faith. They're having to write that out and say it as part of their curriculum. But you can't say Jesus. Um, a few weeks ago, the, the president issued an executive order that does impact us here because he said across the country, all K through 12 schools, the bathrooms and the locker rooms, gender doesn't matter. And it's not even a question of like, is this the gender, like, I, I choose and I go this direction. This is an open question. Hour by hour, you could change your mind 400 times a day. Because what the objective here is to, they're after something called a gender fluid society. How's that a shock for you? In Fairfax County, that's a county we used to live in. There's 187,000 students in that county. They can be, a student can be expelled for even questioning another student's gender. And you students, they monitor social media. So if you post something on Facebook or Instagram or anything else, including during the summer, you can be expelled. It's kind of different, isn't it? Um, After the horrible events in Orlando, a lawyer for the ACLU issued a statement that the root cause of what went on there was Christianity. Really? Um, Why? Because in in many secular circles... In many places in this country, this is considered hate speech. Why? Because we dare to say something's a sin. If you're following Christ's instructions about the worst thing that you're going to do, probably, for, for the folks that were in that club in, Atlanta, in um, Orlando, is pray for them. We're not going to go shoot them up. You know, but this is considered hate speech. The Canadian Supreme Court a couple years ago even ruled on that and said that if you tell somebody that that homosexuality is a sin and you base it on the Bible, that's not legal anymore. You can't do that. That's considered hate speech. Many of us 
these changes feel as though they're accelerating. Um, it seems like there's been more changes in the last 18 months than probably in the last 100 years. It seemed like for a long time things didn't change and now things are just really just going crazy. Um, something that's been on my heart for a long time, and I don't know where this came from other than God, but it's kind of a crazy thing, but it's like I think there's going to be a lot of surprise people in heaven. I think the people are going to go like, they let you in? You guys don't even like worship on the right day of the week. They let you in? You didn't use the right amount of water or even more. You don't even do baptism, you know? But we, we draw all these lines within Christianity about these things. Um, do you remember the, the story of the Tower of Babel? I write it on here because it's bigger print than my Bible. Leanne keeps threatening to buy me a large print edition. Um, from Genesis 11, chapters 1 through 8, the story of the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Now, to me, Satan is not a creator. The best he can do is copy. And I don't mean to offend anybody with this, so don't get offended. This is just my thoughts. But this is something that kind of grows out of that idea that, you know, we look at each other and wonder like, wow, they let you in kind of thing? I think it's at least worth considering that denominations are Satan's version of the Tower of Babel. And I'm not looking at it to say like somebody else doesn't do it right. But can you even imagine if there was one single body one single church. How amazing would that be? I, to me, I think that's like what the original intent was. And if you read Revelation, it's what we will be one day. We will be one body. That's what we're called to. Um, at times, it seems like the, offer, the intent is to offer an endless variety. Theology covering the entire spectrum so that there is something for everyone. And it isn't like there's a handful of mainstream denominations. Even within denominations, there are numerous factions. You can't simply say like Lutheran or Baptist. If you go to Wikipedia and look up list of Baptist denominations, I did it, you get hundreds. I mean seriously, you get hundreds. And, and please understand, I'm not singling out Lutherans or Baptists. I just had to come up with an example. Um, the, the problem is that we're trying to please people. And sometimes the message of the Bible and indeed God's word is lost or it's subverted. You have denominations that are considered mainstream Christian denominations that have come to a point where 
they no longer say Jesus is the way. They want to say he's one of the ways. Okay. They say that's too exclusive if we say Jesus is the only way. So we have to take great care, as Paul writes, to always be watchful for for false teaching and for false teachers. As I frequently say to, to some of my Sunday school kids, the only requirement to come to Jesus is that you've got a heartbeat and that you're breathing. It's not, it doesn't exclude anybody. It doesn't prevent anybody. All you really need is to know that you have a need for him. That's all. If you know you've got a need for him, there is no other barrier. There's nothing else, no hurdles to jump. There's no other requirements. Just know you've got a need for him and that you're a sinner. That's it. I should quit now, shouldn't I? Um, again, I'm, I'm not fa- finding fault, but it just... Can you imagine the world today if there was one church and we were united in spreading the gospel? Um, so where do we go with all of this and what, what's the application for it? I think more and more if we live out God's word, the gap between living a Christian life and, and what's happening in the rest of the culture, that, that gap is going to continue to widen. So for the unchurched, when they are exposed for the first time to a picture of what life lived from a biblical perspective looks like, it probably can be a big shock. And I'm not saying that we should water down or dilute scripture. I'm not saying that. But we can't present ourselves as having achieved some level of perfection when the truth is that we all struggle with the same sin issues. Even if we give the give the impression that before you can join us in worship or before you can participate and be part of our fellowship, you need to go and get your life together. We're completely missing the the message of Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't want to communicate that we're better than anybody else. The only difference is we know we've sinned and we're asking for forgiveness. We're all different and we're all in our faith walk at different places. Hopefully we, aren't, we, we are all growing in faith and we're learning and developing our relationship with Jesus. But it, we can't expect everybody else to always say, see things from the same perspective that we do. If you remember back when Amber came back from school, Gary interviewed her and was asking about the things that she'd learned and, and kind of where she was. And one of the things that he cautioned is, don't look at everybody else and expect them to be where you are. Because right now you're on fire. You're, you've, you've been studying and learning and you're on fire. But you can't look out and like, oh, wow, they, they aren't making it. You know, Don't expect people to be where you are. Can you imagine like when Josh first graduated and he came up here, can you imagine him looking at the teens and going like, what's wrong with you losers? You're not where I am. Get on board. You know? That's not the way that we need to communicate. We need to respond with compassion and love, not with judgment and condemnation. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Something I, I shared at Man Cave, and I, I apologize to the guys here that um, were at the last man cave because you're going to hear a couple minutes of the same thing. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we all have come to know this as kind of like 
the marriage verse, you know? Love is patient, love is kind. And we think of that as the marriage verse. There's so many weddings that have that, right? That's not what Paul was writing to. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say, that there may be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I think, in some ways, I think this paints a pretty good picture of what later grew into what we have today with divisions that have now become what we call denominations. We get really wrapped up in like, I follow this. I follow that. Oh, we're doing the good thing. What are you guys doing? There shouldn't be divisions. We shouldn't create stumbling blocks for each other. Scripture literally says, don't put a stumbling block in front of your Christian brother and sister. Don't do it. You know? And, and the unity that Paul is talking about and calling us to here, this church has experienced tremendous unity when, when we've had things like a building program that we've brought forth and we're going to vote, do we do it? We've had tremendous unity. But unity is more than that. Unity is how do we talk about each other? How do we treat each other in all the, the, the small moments? Not just the when we're taking a vote, but do we, you know, are we kind with each other? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's talking about us and how we talk to each other, how we treat each other, how you talk to the guy down the street that goes to a different church, but you know he follows Christ. How do we talk to them? That's where the unity's got to come from. Um, remember the, that in this message, when Paul wrote this, he was writing to the church at Corinth. But I think we should actually take like the words, the church in Corinth, out and just call it, Paul was writing to the church. The church as it will be in Revelation when we're one. Be one. You know, be, be this way with each other. Um, how does the secular world even get to see Christ's love being applied to the people of the world if what we show them is a fractured picture? Christians, all supposed to be part of what Scripture calls the church, all pointing very unloving fingers at each other, looking down our noses at each other, all claiming the hallowed you know, purity of the high ground as we point out how others aren't living our vision of what Christianity should look like. If this is what we present to the world... What do you think non-Christians and, and people that never see the inside of a church, what do you think they, they look at us and see? It's not a positive thing. Both individually and as a church, I think we need to take great care that we don't allow ourselves to get all puffed up thinking that we belong to the right denomination or that we go to the good church. We, we shouldn't have that point of pride. We can't just circle the wagons and only like keep to ourselves if we do that, we forfeit the opportunity to live out what's called the Great Commission, to go out and take the good news of the gospel to the world. It's easy to withdraw and just have Christian friends, but that's not what we're called to. And it's not just a matter of ignoring Christ's instructions. It's a matter of we don't get to experience the joy of doing that, of being part of God's plan. It, it's a little humbling if you think about it this way, but God doesn't need us. 
to take the word out there. He's asked us to come alongside and to do this and to find the joy in that and to experience that. But he doesn't like need us. It's not like if we don't do that, he's not, the, the message isn't going to go. Um, I was listening to Ravi Zachariah a little while ago, and, and he was talking about this, that, you know, over the, over the centuries and literally over the millennia, God has spoken to people directly through, you know, visions, through dreams, through direct, you know, communication. He doesn't, it's not like Christianity is going to fail if we don't do, you know, what we're called to do. We're called to do that because we, he wants us to experience that joy. Um, there are elements of, of Jesus' time in his ministry that were very challenging to the, what was called the accepted culture of the time. And it's all through the gospel. Um, even when the, the Pharisees said, he spoke as one who speaks with authority, that ticked them off because that threw them out of their comfort zone. They were used to being the authority. They were used to being able to go like, yeah, you do it our way or you're cooked. Um, or where, where Jesus, who Jesus kept company with, that he would go to that, the house of a tax collector and have supper there. That, they just couldn't take that. It's, you know, remember, it's not like it is for us today where there's, you know, like the tax table and you go like, I made this much and I got to give them this much, you know? In that time, the tax collector knew what he had to, to hand off to Rome and he could collect anything he wanted. So they were seen as just crooked. They were seen as very dishonest and crooked people because whatever they collected above and beyond what they had to give to Rome went in their pockets. Cha-ching, pretty good, you know? But they weren't considered good people and that Jesus would like hang out with them and go to their house for supper. Um, even, Even how he described himself as the good shepherd. In that time, shepherds weren't really like revered. They were kind of outcasts. They lived with their flocks. They were pretty smelly, you know. They, they were not like something to aspire to. We think of it now, and the scriptures are beautiful, the way Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, and, you know, those know my voice who are mine. It's very positive, but at that time, that wasn't exactly a positive. Um, but just as Jesus did, those shepherds were willing to give their lives for their flock. If one was lost, that shepherd didn't worry that there was a mountain lion or something out there and like, I'll just stay with the rest of them. He went and got the one. You know, same way Jesus did with us. Sorry. Um, For our kids, as they grow up and they head away to colleges and universities, they will be confronted with others that have grown up in very much different situations and environments. And they'll have their beliefs questioned and challenged. And non-Christians will be watching them to see how they respond. Um, It's just kind of human nature that lately it's like you find one Christian that does something a certain way and if it's not a positive thing, all Christians get painted with that. And it's a heavy load for, for people that are out there invisible like that. Today, living out the message of the cross is incredibly difficult. It's too easy to give in to judgment, to look down on those not living as we know we all know that we should be living. The world can try to say that 
because we don't that because we do recognize sin for what it is, the world can say that we hate. That's what they like to do. They like to put labels on us. That but we know the truth. And they don't get to just assign labels to us. That doesn't make it true. Um, just because they disagree with us, they, they don't get to be the ones that say we hate. Um, or that we don't, you know, that we don't have, just because we don't have the same worldview that they don't. In Romans 13, starting out in verse 9, Paul writes, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And once again, back to John 13, verse 35. As Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is what we're called to. We're called to love. Um, right now, there's a, a narrative out there that they they just they're just enamored with the idea of saying that Islam is the religion of love and Christianity is the opposite. It's not true. We have nothing in Jesus' teaching had anything that talked about going out and waging holy war or condemning other people and you know taking it into your own hands on what you're going to do to them. Jesus told us to love one another. It's pretty simple. That's how we, we become like Jesus if we love one another. Lately, uh, it seems like as, as we, Lee and I have been driving around, it seems like so many of the praise songs talk about grace. And we are the recipients of truly, as the song says, amazing grace. We are that recipient. It is our job now to be grace to the world. If we have received that grace, how can we not give grace to those around us? How can we look down at anybody when we know our sins and we know they're just as bad as anybody else's? So we are called to love one another and to be God's grace in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for just everything that you've done for us, that you came even before we were, were born. You came for us and you knew us. Before we accepted you and we asked for your forgiveness, you knew us as we were sinners. And you, you still loved us. Even in our filth and even in our sin, you still loved us and you called us to your side. And we just pray, Lord, as that we go out into the world that you would encourage us to treat others the way that you've treated us, to forgive, to offer grace, and to love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.